at times is becoming farcical and you have to really feel for these players and management this isn't normal in any shape or form for your first chance to hear brian o'driscoll on otb download the otb sports app and turn on your notifications And you're very welcome along to The Snap, your American football show here on Off The Ball. We are brought to you this week and every week in association with the Erlingus College Football Classic, Northwestern versus Nebraska at the Viva Stadium on Saturday, August 27th, 2022. Check out Ireland.com for full details. All the info you need is on their brand new website. Time to welcome in my partner in crime, Keen Faye. Keen, how are things? I'm good. How are you? All's well, all's well. This is quite a quirky one because... Any typical NFL season, we're at week four or just past week four and the quarter season awards would be in full swing. But it is a bit of a, a tricky dynamic this season as we have that extra game to contend with. But we're still in a decent position to frame things. We might leave our awards or quarter season awards till next week. But I was just wondering, as we move into this next phase of the campaign, has anything surprised you from maybe our previous show? Anything hasn't quite panned out the way we had pegged it? Maybe we can plan a show for the end of the first quarter this week, and then we'll have four games in one quarter, and then we can have a quarterly awards. Just an idea. Um, I I think there's only really three teams we can look at. The Chiefs, they're 2-2, two two, obviously. like That's a major surprise. We expected them to be the best team in the league, so they would be blowing people out. And it's just been a skill position problem that we talked about previously and a pressure problem on Patrick Mahomes. The Bengals are 3-1. and one. Like and Joe Burrow looks fantastic, and this is obviously a positive surprise because his injury was so late in the year and was so devastating. No one expected him him to be that good, and then Jamar Chase had those struggles in the rookie in his preseason that just haven't had any impact at all. And defensively, there they look a lot better than expected. Even the offensive line has been pretty good there. And then the other one is probably the one that everyone will think of and everyone will look to: Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers, which I think is probably going to derail a little bit after last week. Normally, you have a team like that that kind of is an upstart at the start and then gets its first loss and then it starts to stockpile losses. But overall, it's it's kind of been predictable, I think. I think a lot of, like, if you just take the division standings, there aren't really teams there that you go, oh, yeah, that's way different to what I expected. The Miami Dolphins are probably one. But you could explain that with the quarterback change even. But defensively there, I don't think they've been great. So I don't think we've had major surprises. I think a lot of it's been kind of predictable so far. And is there any team making a case for division contention maybe that you didn't foresee beforehand like you mentioned the Bengals there whether they're going to be in the mix for the AFC North yeah, when it's all said and done probably still question marks but anyone else catch your eye like the Steelers obviously maybe open up a gap for the Bengals in that regard as they look pretty terrible at the moment well I mean the Cowboys look like they're going to win the NFC East and we couldn't pick anyone to start the year but that was less about the quality of the division being positive it was more about the quality of the division being poor uh, I think the Broncos are probably the one like Bridgewater's concussion will have a big impact. Drew Locke didn't have a, a good game when he came on at the weekend. I think that team has proven that they have a lot, enough quality to be a playoff team. They have enough quality to win that division. The problem for them is that division they're in. Like, even though the Chiefs are the loser so far because they're 2-2, two and two, they're still you, know, you expect them to win at least 10 games. The Raiders, I think they're going to come apart a little bit just because you saw Derek Carr get exposed a little bit last week. But they'll still be at least an 8-win team, I think. And then the Chargers look like arguably the best team in football. So we can get to them. But the, the, the Broncos are right there as, as challengers. They're not being pushed aside in that division. And we've already talked about how good that division is. So like, if we just picked the best 16 teams in the league or the best 18 teams in the league rather than breaking down playoff positions based on division, you'd have the Broncos in there. But unfortunately, the scheduling and the setup of it all will probably push them out. 
Yeah, there's plenty of exciting candidates emerging to the front and we're going to cover them on the Pick 6. Yeah, Keen, I'm going to give you sort of marginal credit on number one in our pick six, which is House of Cards, the Arizona Cardinals, because last year in our season preview, <laughs> you picked the Cardinals to be maybe one of the best teams in football. Didn't quite pan out with that, that way. Then this year, when we did our sort of buy and sell segment, you decided against buying the Cardinals. But now I think you have to admit they're, they're looking pretty impenetrable. Are they the best team in football? It's just a roller coaster with me, really. All they needed was JJ Watt, apparently, and James Conner and AJ Green. AJ Green. To be fair, to be fair, they've made a lot of smart moves, and I think that's the big thing for me with the Arizona Cardinals is the offense is really well rounded, and you saw how they beat the Rams. Like obviously, Buddha Baker, uh, Byron Murphy, they made big plays on defense, but it was really the offense. The offense just blew them away, and you saw AJ Green's first touchdown. You saw Jalen Ramsey having his battle with DeAndre Hopkins, and they just didn't really have to worry about that because they could go to Christian Kirk. They could go to uh, the rookie there whose name escapes me right now. Rondale Moore, I believe his name is. They can go to James Conner for the short touchdown. They can use Chase Edmonds to create plays in space. And then if Kyler has a good day, it's essentially an unstoppable offense. Like I've said over and over again, as long as Cliff Kingsbury gets out of his own way and doesn't stop this team, no one else is going to stop them. And I just, like, AJ Green, it, it seems like he's just a perfect fit there. Like, he's not the go-to guy. He's not making massive plays he's not constantly involved but he's a mismatch for every second cornerback in the league because of his size and because of his athleticism which looks a lot better than it was in Cincinnati that's one of those interesting ones where he left the Bengals and it worked out perfectly for the Bengals and he arrived in Arizona and it worked out perfectly for the Cardinals it was a literal win-win no I totally agree and it is actually nice when you get those dynamics where player was successful he was a successful player in Cincinnati but probably reached the end of his road there and has almost a second life here in this situation and the Cardinals deserve a lot of credit. You mentioned Cliff Kingsbury there and I don't know to what extent you think they're succeeding in spite of him. I know you touched on maybe him getting out of his own way but felt like the dynamism of their team was being stilted somewhat by his rudimentary play calling but it, he's kind of jiving a bit better with like I think he's fully realising what Kyler Murray brings to the table. But where the Cardinals deserve credit is I think most teams would have stayed pat with the Josh Rosen situation, not Rosen specifically, but having having drafted a QB that high the previous year and just deciding after one year we've got... The word generation is thrown around a lot. I don't know whether we want to put that on Kyler just yet, but like this sort of game-changing, transformative talent and... It's the Kyler Murray show. Like they're the reason. Pe- he's the reason people are tuning in to watch the Cardinals. He's he's just an incredible athlete, and you know accuracy was something that was maybe found wanting, or maybe one of the things uh, leveled against him. But he seems to have polished up in that department as well. And we can overstate what a phenomenal performance that was against the Rams, who were coming off the major high of the the week prior, and they just went in there and destroyed them. Yeah, it's an interesting thing you mentioned that they went away from Rosen. It wasn't just Rosen. like It was also was it Steve Wilkes who was the, the head coach there for a year. They moved on very quickly. And there's an interesting dynamic because Steve Kime, who's been the general manager there for a long time, has had a lot of off-the-field issues. Like He should not be in that job based on the standards of most teams and on the standards of most jobs based on what he's done and what he's been uh, found of doing. But, uh, but the... The fact that they've stuck with him, like maybe you can say they're getting some rewards now because the moves that have been made have been really good. But it's it's a bit of a kind of a weird dynamic just because you have guys who got got replaced very quickly and then you have a guy who's staying there for, for the long term. In terms of the Rams side, 
as soon as I saw that first interception from Matt Stafford, it was like, yeah, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what this is what comes where his receiver's wide open and for no apparent reason at all, he throws the ball five yards behind him and just lofts it up for Byron Murphy to undercut it. And, and that's suddenly the, the Cardinals are, are going the other direction and they're going to take control of the game very quickly. And I just think there are going to be so many moments like that with the Rams where you feel like that. But the other aspect of the Rams is they're such a top-heavy team. Like, once Cooper Cup, like, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods worked together really well. But once they lost um, uh, Cam Akers in the preseason, you really saw the limitations of the running game then. Daryl Henderson's fine. Sonny Mikel is fine. He had a, a key fumble last week. They're okay running backs. But there's no one there who's going to create on their own and, and change the way the defense approaches you, which, against better teams, will hurt you. And the Cardinals were able to exploit that. So it was a really interesting matchup. Um, I think that division, like, I don't know, are, are you... All in on the Cardinals now? Do you want the? Do you think the Rams are going to come back? I, I still wouldn't necessarily write off the Rams. I don't think the Cardinals are guaranteed to keep winning the way they are. But I think they are the two teams in that division now, though, aren't they? Yeah, I think there's a case to be made that the Cardinals could build up enough momentum to win this division. But the Rams are going to be dangerous in the postseason, come what may. And I actually think they probably have the now know how and the coaching crucially to succeed in January. So. The Cardinals could win the division, I could still see the Rams going further and that's kind of the beautiful thing about it, there's so many talented teams around and so much talent within those teams. Just speaking of uh, maybe untoward actions off the field by coaches, we should probably just touch on Urban Meyer and again, while we're handing out pats on the back, Keen, I did call this last year that this is going to be an absolute dumpster fire of a hire and it has proven to be so. So we don't have to dwell on Urban Meyer, he could well be gone by the next edition of the snap. We'll move on to number two in the pick six, Smoking Herb. Justin Herbert is on fire, Keen. He is ablaze at the moment. And I don't think we can probably go overboard on how ridiculous, ridiculously Hollywood a plot this is, that basically the, the QB in situ was, had his lung punctured by the team medic. And that's the only reason Justin Herbert got his goal last season. And he hasn't looked back. Like, are we, over, are we overstating that? Like, this lad looks like he's just taken to the NFL like a duck to water. He hasn't had many hiccups at all. Hold on a second. Do the pick six puns go through uh, standards at the top of news yeah. here? Are we going to be getting in trouble there? No, no, no. I don't know. I don't want to. I just want to make sure I'm not associated with any of these. It was I don't cleared. Know what's coming up next? Cleared by Top Brass, and also it, it's legal in in California, so we're we're grand. <laughs> um, yeah, the the Chargers look amazing. Um, the, the real key for them is that Mike Williams ha- is playing to his potential. And because Mike Williams, well, outside of the fact that Herbert is incredible and is arguably the best quarterback in the league right now, he's playing to his potential, which means when teams try and focus on Keenan Allen or they try and stop Austin Eckler, Williams is suddenly outside one-on-one all the time. And jo- Justin Herbert's just like, okay, I'll throw it to him. I'll take him because he's a beast. He's a monster. He's going to go and win the ball for me, and he's going to make plays. And Herbert's been unstoppable on third downs. He's unstoppable on fourth downs. It does not matter what the defense does to him. He just does whatever he wants to do, and he does it at his own pace. And the Raiders found that out very, very, uh, in a very, very unfortunate way because they got just manhandled and swept aside on that Monday Night Football game. There's an inevitability about the Chargers right now, and I think they're the best team in football right now because every game they play, nothing seems to rattle them. Like, they're, they're even the game they lost, like they, they weren't... They weren't overly, or they weren't overwhelmed. They weren't really like showing major flaws. This is a, such a well-rounded team, a team that's playing to a really high level. 
and they're, they're getting decent coaching. They change their coach. They've got a rookie coach. I don't think there's anything necessarily spectacular the coaching staff is doing, but the tide has turned with the Chargers. It, they used to be the team where it felt inevitably someone was going to get hurt. They were going to miss a field goal at the end of the game. They were going to have a fumble snap. They were going to have some ridiculous thing. It always felt like watching um, Naked Gun 33 and 3rd when he's doing the, the, bat, the baseball game at the end where there's just nonsense things happening all over the field and, and in the crowd. That's what Chargers games used to feel like. And now they're just really boring. Now it's just that mechanical machine-like accuracy and efficiency that we normally associate with the New England Patriots that Justin Herbert's doing. And the rest of the offense is just following his lead. And then defensively, Joey Post is an absolute monster. He's tearing the offensive linemen apart. Derwin James is healthy. The secondary there is fantastic. So they're a great, great team, I think. And I don't know if the Chiefs are going to be able to catch up to them for as good as the Chiefs are. Yeah, I think uh, as a football soccer fan, I should say, Keane, you familiar with the term Spursy? And it's probably a comparative <laughs> term for the Chargers where they will like sort of dwindle at the top level and maybe not have the qu- correct mentality. And you've touched on mentality there. And Brandon Staley, also someone you earmarked, the coach and the job he's done so far. He had an interesting sort of soliloquy in his press conference. We're just going to play that for the, for the listeners now. Uh, what I think that the running game does for a quarterback um, is it gives you some breathers and... Um, you know, you don't need a good running game to be a good play-action team, but what you need the running game for is the physical element of the game. There's a physicality to the game that's real, right? If you're just a passing team, okay, there's a physical element to the game that the defense doesn't have to respect, okay? And that's the truth, okay? Because the data will tell you, you don't need a run game to play pass. That's not, you don't need that. But what the running game does for you, it brings a physical dimension to the football game. And what the running game does that the passing game does not is the running game forces the defense to play blocks and to tackle. That happens on a run play. You must play blocks and you must tackle. In the passing game, those things don't have to happen, right? You don't have to play as many blocks, right? And you don't, may not have to tackle based on incomplete or not. So what the running game does is it really challenges your physicality. And that's why I think the run game is important to a quarterback is because it's going to allow him literally to have more space to operate when you do throw the football. Okay, It's not that you need the run game to throw it. It's just what it gives the rest of your skill players. Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting, Keen. It kind of speaks to the, the shift in mindset that we touched on and obviously a defensive coach Staley was hired as and almost putting himself in the shoes of the opposing defensive coordinator, knowing what they don't want to come up against. And also, just broadly speaking, sort of the refreshing thing and why I love the NFL, the freedom of expression that coaches have there. Like, where would you ever hear a Premier League manager, like, number one, explaining what he did and also explaining why he did it? Like, they, you'd never have that sort of competitive advantage given away. But Staley's so comfortable in his skin. And I would imagine at this stage a prohibitive favourite for Coach of the Year, just on the basis of what you said, that he's not getting in the way of the talent he has. He's, as you touched on there with the running game, he's establishing that just to maybe up up Justin Herbert's wings a little bit. But he doesn't. it's not necessarily like anything to do with schemes or anything like that. It is more of a mentality thing and almost instilling that in his team that we're not going to be bowled over and we're almost going to establish ourselves as the, the preeminent team in any given game. So I just thought that was... Sort of, it summed up what Brandon Staley is bringing to the party. 
Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Like uh, the NFL has plenty of these um, end of call type nerds where they just care about XG and all this <laughs> stuff, and they want to argue that running the ball is an uh, archaic thing that they only did in the 1950s. But everything you said there was true. Like it is still very much a physical, manhandling game. And if you go near, I haven't been on an NFL sideline, but I've been near enough of these level athletes, you realize the physicality of them is just terrifying. And the idea of having uh, an Adrian Peterson or a Marshall Lynch running at you or a Derek Henry right now running at you over and over and over again, it does it is gonna have an impact. Like the idea that it doesn't is crazy. And but but surpass that. Everything that he said is accurate, but you can take it a step further. It's very, very difficult for a quarterback to drop back 55, 60 times and throw the ball and not take sacks and not be playing under constant pressure. If we go back to that, uh, Dak Prescott in week one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I came in here and lauded Dak Prescott because all he was doing in that game was dropping back when the defense knew he was dropping back and he was going against a great pass rush. So he's constantly delivering the ball against a great pass rush. Now that requires exceptional high-level quarterback play. And only a handful of guys in the league can do that. So when you look at other quarterbacks in the league who've played well in offenses that dictate to the defense, guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, guys like Josh Allen, guys like Carson Wentz, it's not the same thing and it's not the same level of quarterbacking. And what the running game does and what being able to run the ball does it forces those defensive linemen to be just that little bit slower, that little touch slower of, if I know you're going to potentially run the ball, I actually have to wait at the line for a moment just to account for that. If I know you're going to drop back 95% of the time, I'm just exploding off the line every single time. I'm coming one-on-one with the offensive tackle. I'm coming off the ball so quickly that the pass pressure is going to, or that the pressure on the quarterback is going to be there immediately. And then you'll get the quarterbacks who have to play throw the ball into a window that doesn't exist yet because the route hasn't had time to develop, has to throw the ball with a, a defender falling at his feet with another one with a hand in his face. And this is where you see guys like Derek Carr and they start making these inexcusable mistakes or Ben Roethlisberger, most recent example, where they're making these decisions that don't make any sense because it's like obvious to us watching that there's a defender standing right there and you shoot the ball straight to him. Yeah, but it's because the process in the pocket was sped up so quickly he didn't have had time to figure out where the ball was and where the, where the defenders were so that's why the running game plays such a key component and I agree with you in the sense that the NFL is great for stuff like this it's, it's especially great because it gets compared to chess all the time but it's not like chess because all the pieces are interlinked and they all impact each other and you have different types of players and different, different standards of players that are all coordinating together so it becomes this really intricate mesh of coaching, play calling, uh, referees obviously, players individually executing, players executing as a group, and then how one accounts for the other and how one covers for another and how one drags down another. So the whole nuance and different detail you can get into is endless and that clip is just a very small part of probably what a meeting during the week sounds like for most of the players. Yeah, and you broached the analytical end of it and maybe an overemphasis on that from people the outside looking in. Like At the end of the day, there is a huge amount of psychology in it as well, and even something like the Chargers, another crucial fourth down conversion at this weekend past after they did similar against Kansas City. Like That's Daly's way of telling his team, I trust you to get the job done here and not Spursy at all. So the Chargers would have contrived to lose the game against the Raiders there the other day, even though they had a big lead. It's the kind of thing in years gone by. It's just in building them, but it seemed, they seem to be dispelling that at a rate of knots, and I agree with you, they're, they're going to take some beating, they're really impressive through four weeks anyway. We move on to number three in the pick six, Supermax, and quite unusual that we would lead with uh, the losing quarterback in a marquee game like the Patriots against the Buccaneers, but despite his interception troubles, Mac Jones really, I wouldn't say I played Brady, Brady was quite poor on the day, but Jones, for a rookie, like look quite at home in in what was a really high profile matchup and 
I've been quite impressed with how he's, he's settled down to the NFL so far. So we've gone from Herb to Supermax. Is this a Friday night for Roman Mullen? Is that what we're going walking through right now? Yeah, as a former, a former alum of NUI Galway, I've spent many a night in Supermax, so I can, I can vouch for it. And this is a huge honour for, for Mac Jones to get this. But I don't know, what, what did you make of him? Like, he's very much, I have to admit, he's in the game manager mould, but they are trusting him to make decisions and tweaks at the line of scrimmage. And it's not as if he's running for his life necessarily. I know the, the Bucks got to him a good bit the other day, but you know, there's some elite players in the front line for the Bucks, so that's going to happen. But he's, he's almost, he is being trusted and he's able to almost find his feet at this level. And I, I appreciate he played quite a pro style offense at college, but he seems to have taken to this all right as well. Yeah, I think like what we just talked about is, is key here because I just talked about how you abandon the running game and you don't have a running game, and that's largely what they did against the Buccaneers. And going into the game, I didn't think they'd be able to do that. I didn't think they were built to do that, not just because of Mac Jones, but because of the way the offensive line is set up and the way the receivers and tight ends are set up. But overall, that performance was really good and really encouraging because his processing in the pocket is so good. And he was able to move the ball. Like, Look, they obviously had the two big passing plays from wide receiver to wide receiver, which had nothing to do with Mac Jones. And one of them came at the end of the game to set up the field goals that would have won the game that bounced off the post. But yeah, I'm really impressed by him. I think he's going to become a really good quarterback. And this whole aspect, like we had Tara Sullivan on this week talking about how Brady and Belichick and how Belichick was wrong for letting Brady go. And I really don't think he was because one of the aspects of that that gets overlooked is they hadn't maxed out their salary cap and maxed out their team and gone as far as they could with the roster. So Brady staying there wasn't really helping anyone. And Brady leaving was actually the perfect time because it meant they had a year to hit the reset button. They took that year with Cam Newton and then they brought in Mac Jones where they could properly start their rebuild. And now it looks like Mac Jones is going to be the foundation of what they build moving forward while they can still compete to a degree right now. Like, they were very unlucky not to win that game. Like, they, like what they did to Brady and contained Brady was outstanding on defense. They'll be as effective on defense as they always have been because Belichick is that good and they have enough talent. So they don't need Mac Jones to do anything crazy. But yeah, out of, out of the rookie quarterbacks, I think he's probably been the best. I don't know, is, is, am, I, am I overlooking someone who's, like, stood out? I don't think there's anyone else who's really stood out besides him. No, he's probably in the best situation like with respect to the other lads who are probably firefighting a little bit more than they would like to be at this stage. I would have expected Trevor Lawrence to be slightly better, but as has been evidenced in the last few days, that is not a good situation at all. And my concern would be you don't want that to be an irrevocable thing where to become the next David Carr and like he's a much more talented quarterback than Carr was. But you know, if you take that much punishment at this stage in your career, it can... like diminish your bottle a little bit and he's kind of built on bottle he's a very mobile player and obviously really talented arm as well so Trevor Lawrence would be the one that I'd be, be thinking about but sure we'll, we'll see what happens uh, going forward there in terms of that overall Bucks against Patriots game Keen, any other massive takeaways do the Patriots look like a playoff team to you could they put a run together I think that being one and three now is a challenge for them because like I don't know if they're going to be able to rip off 10 wins. I don't know if they're going to be able to rip off 8 wins. It's, I, I think they might be close to being a playoff team, but hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. We've got to change playoff format this year, so maybe they are a playoff team. I think they're good enough to kind of beat anyone in the league on their day, but there's going to have inconsistencies just because of the way Mac Jones is relying on, because of the way the team is set up. It was really important for them that Hunter Henry got involved again more this week, that John Smith stays involved. Like the receivers there haven't said anything. Like Kendrick Bourne's made a couple of plays. Jacoby Myers is still there. Like they, They've had decent impact Nelson Aguilar had a couple of catches but I don't think they're really built to like contend with the best teams on a consistent basis so I think they could make the playoffs I think they'd be very quickly losing in the playoffs but then again you see 
what Belichick can do. Like, that Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, from top to bottom, is a much more talented team than the Ross, than the Patriots are. But he was able to make them uh, close at the end. He was able to make it a two-point game, a game they probably should have won. And if they had a better kicker, they probably would have won. But I think they're a decent team. I think that that division looks like it's going to be the Bills. So if they can beat out the Dolphins for the second place and then win in the wildcard race, maybe. Like, there aren't huge amount of standout teams otherwise in the AFC who they'll, be, who they'll be fearing, especially since the Steelers look like they're gone and you can kind of rely on the Browns and the Bengals to maybe beat themselves a little bit, which neuters the AFC North at some point. Uh, like the other part of this that we haven't mentioned, I don't know if you were going to come to it, is the Stefan Gilmore departure, which makes a lot of sense to me as well. Like it shouldn't make sense because he's a great player and he's why, a great cornerback. Why, do, why does it make sense? I don't understand why this makes sense. It's like because, is he not their best player. Yeah, but they have a bunch of other cornerbacks, younger cornerbacks who can play incredibly well, and. Gilmore is at the point of his career where, like, oh, so he only had one year left, so it's a financial decision completely. But he was at the point of his career where I don't know if they were really banking on him for the long term. So they're looking at their development curve being winning a Super Bowl in a couple of years rather than this year, which is why you can let Gilmore go, I think. Uh, it, it's, it's a hard sell because he's a great player, but it's just that's the way the Patriots work. They'll happily move on from someone earlier rather than too late. I saw um, Cousin Sal of Bill Simmons' podcast fame saying <laughs> Sam Darnold's been reunited with one of his favourite targets, which is a bit cruel, but true also. It's very much true. Two interceptions. He has two interceptions of him. It's interesting also, we're talking about cornerbacks, like the Patriots very obviously went after Richard Sherman in a big way. And I think Richard Sherman could be an impactful sort of side piece for the Bucks in the long run, but he can't be playing every play, especially at this stage. You know, he's probably still like reattuning to the the tempo of the games and that kind of thing. So that was very obvious that um, Belichick had earmarked that as a, as a route for success for the Patriots. And they, I think Mac Jones had something like 20 completions in a row at one point in the game. So they obviously got into their rhythm. Uh, we, I wonder we, if um, if Sherman might play some safety because he's a big guy and he's not scared of hitting people. Yeah, and uh, like it seems to be a trend of this podcast or a team. But you know, mindset-wise, like the man knows what it takes to get to Super Bowls and win Super Bowls. So... It's probably a good fella to have around the place. The, the, the rich get richer in that department. The, the Bucks, while they put together that Super Bowl run last year, he's more of like a vintage a veteran, been there, done that year on year, so he can probably speak to maybe repeating and that kind of thing. So a good, another good player to have around the place. I actually thought Gilmore might end up there, and I probably would have cancelled my Game Pass subscription at that point because the Bucks would have just won the whole thing at that point. It's but, kind of, um, it's, isn't it sad that Sherman's the only one left from the Legion of Boom? Yeah. Like, uh, like Earl Thomas probably did have a couple more years left in him. He wasn't the Earl Thomas that was my favorite player a few years ago when he got to Baltimore. Unfortunately, but he's still like a useful player and you know was effective in most games. Like he was just outrageous. But was what are we talking now? Seven years ago when he was at his peak, but like he was covering. Like, it was just, yeah, like it's something about DBs. I just find I think they're the most fascinating element of the whole game. The psychology of it that you could be like probably corners more so that you could be avoided for entire games and yet the whole game could ultimately ride on you like not causing a pass interference and it's such a difficult position to play at this point that we should emphasize like geez you get called for absolutely anything at this stage so um, it's probably something we can talk about uh, in more depth during the offseason Keen. we probably go back into some of these classic players and possibly Hall of Fame contenders for this week we'll move on to number four in the pick six from Russell with love, and we should give Russell Wilson some love because, like, I often wonder with this 
it seems like a mutually beneficial relationship that him and Pete Carroll had. But do you think Wilson has got the max out of his ability? Do you think this is the right quarterback coach dynamic? Because as much as he's got his hundred wins and done it in in record time, he's the, like he's right up there in terms of the speed at which he's done it. It still feels something's a little bit off about about that whole thing down in Seattle. I think for his career, yeah, he's definitely been with the right coach. Um, Carroll is similar mindset to Wilson where they're overly cautious. Like Neither of them want to do risky plays all the time. They want to win close games, tight games, and Wilson will protect the ball and he'll run for first downs and he'll take shot plays when shot plays are there. But he's not like a gunslinger type of quarterback. It's just never been who he is. And he's not really built to play that way because he doesn't see well from the pocket all the time. I think right now, it's a very disjointed offense. Like DK Metcalf has decent numbers when you look at his season, but the impact does not feel like it's been there. Tyler Lockett is phenomenal, but he's he's had some good games, but he's not really having the same impact either. Chris Carson was contained for much of last week's game, and it put the offense in a hole, really, because when he's not moving the ball, Wilson isn't really going to hit those shorter and intermediate throws over and over and over and over again to keep the offense moving like, like he has done in different stages of his career. He's been inconsistent that way. And then the offensive line, like Dwayne Brown doesn't look spectacular at left tackle anymore, so the offensive line as a whole is a little bit losing uh, its consistency or losing its uh, effectiveness. Like, they relied on turnovers and they relied on uh, a second-half performance against a, a rookie quarterback to be effective, and I just don't see them, them gelling. And it, it's, it's unusual because the foundational pieces of that offense were all there last year. Like, Wilson, Brown... Uh, Carson, Metcalf, Lockett. Like, that's that's the offense. You get the ball to those people as much as you can. Well, not Brown, he's an offensive lineman. Get the ball to those people as much as possible. But for whatever reason, the timing isn't there. Whatever reason, the protections aren't holding up the way they're supposed to hold up. Wilson's getting confused by plays he shouldn't get confused by. And I, it, hopefully, it's something that figures itself out and can very easily be fixed because it's just this malaise that the players are playing with. But I'm concerned because it, it's unusual and it's hard to explain. And then defensively, like Jamal Adams, I, I, Greg Cassell had a quote about Jamal Adams this week where he said he's basically just a linebacker trying to play safety and he, he's not worth the money he's paid. And I tend to completely agree. Like Adams is at fault for that long touchdown in the second half that they gave up to Debo Samuel. And it's it's just so glaringly obvious that he can be attacked in coverage and attacked in space. And so he limits the whole defense. Like That defense isn't anywhere close to what it was when we were talking about like, the Legion of Boom there a minute ago. So I just don't know what their strengths are to build on and rely on if Wilson isn't connecting with Lockett and Metcalf because that's the strength of the team and that's going to be what will carry the team if they make the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it's an identity problem. It's hard to define exactly what the Seahawks are and they have that muscle memory that they kind of make the postseason by default in the Wilson-Carroll era. Have they got enough about them to do that? And we've, at nauseum, we've mentioned the strength of this division, but it's quite open in terms of getting in the back door. There are plenty of playoff bears, but would you put your money on them getting to the playoffs this year? No, I think they're the same as the four. I'm not the same as. I, I, think, I think the Seahawks probably don't make the playoffs because I think they're closer to the 49ers than they are to the Rams and the Cardinals. I don't know, does that sound crazy to you? I think it would have, at the start of the year we talked about this division and we said we could see these four teams being right next to each other the whole way. I feel like the top two have defined themselves and the Seahawks are going to be left behind. And what do you think of, we actually have a headline attraction on Thursday Night Football, I think Fox are starting their coverage this evening, it probably speaks to that end, but Rams-Seahawks, is it a must-win for either or who are you leaning towards in that one? 
I think the Rams will actually beat them fairly comfortably. I think you're relying on Russell Wilson to have a, a phenomenal game for the Seahawks to beat them. As much as I've talked about Matt Stafford being unreliable, the Rams as a team, like they have more talents, they have more effectiveness, they have a guy like Jalen Ramsey who can play anywhere and on defense, and they have a guy like Aaron Donald who's going to destroy the offensive line. Whereas the Seahawks are looking to Jamal Adams and who? Uh, and very old Bobby Wagner. That, that's pretty much what you've got there. Like it, It's not a defense that's going to be able to contain Sean McVay's offense, and I think that'll be a comfortable win for the Rams. Yeah, you almost got the impression from the Rams that they were looking past uh, last weekend a little bit at this one because it's such a crucial game in division. So the Rams will need to bounce back and the Seahawks probably need to make a statement at home that they're, as you as we touched on there, that they are still contenders uh, in this department. We move on to number five in the pick six, 50 Shades of Trey and the 49ers who we have mentioned, Keen, and their quarterback, Quagmire, which is, you basically got the devil you know in Jimmy Garoppolo who's all right, he's only ever going to be the James Milner of the NFL and like that's about his limit. And he's a very injury prone is the other thing, which is not James Milner-esque at all. He seems to, he doesn't have very good durability. So you're basically unlikely to get a full season out of Jimmy Garoppolo. So if he comes back anyway healthy, his MRI notwithstanding, we'll see what happens. Um, you can go with him or you can go with Trey Lance, who is quite raw and... Um, I, I cut him some slack for the game the other day because he was. It's, it looked to me as if he was playing Jimmy Garoppolo's playbook, and I presume if if he's instilled as the starter, that they're going to probably cater more to him and the plays that he's been running in these games. I think we'll probably see more of those, and that'd be my sense of it. So I just like a gut feeling I would probably go with Trey Lance if I had to if I had to pick one at this point. But I think you're leaning the other way. I think at this stage I'd start Jimmy Garoppolo right back ahead of James Milner, so that's not a not a compliment to him at, at least. Um, uh, it, it's a difficult one, right? Because Garoppolo's never been a great quarterback. He's not someone you're going to win anything with. He he showed in that Super Bowl he's going to collapse and make the mistakes that you really don't need your quarterback to make. But Trey Lance came in and looked absolutely lost. Like he, there's there's a great irony in this because. Trey Lance looks very much like what Colin Kaepernick looked like when he was a rookie, when he came would come off the bench and play a few snaps, and in the second season he eventually came in as a starter and looked quite different. But he looks like, he even has that elongated motion, he has that similar upright running style, he has that athleticism to make plays with his feet, and he throws the ball way too hard at, at times. But his mechanics are a mess. Like he, He's throwing passes that are 10 yards away from where they're supposed to be, and these are short, simple passes. His timing is not there with his receivers at all. Again, he's coming off the bench. It's a it's a game that he wasn't expected to play in. He's to start at halftime, essentially. And the playbook was very narrow, very, sh- very shortened down. I don't think there were many plays, uh, concepts that they actually had there that he was comfortable with. So it's not fair to say like Trey Lance is bad and Trey Lance is going to be bad. But Trey Lance is probably bad right now because he's just not ready. And he's not ready to play and start. So if Garoppolo is healthy, you've got to start him if, you t- if you're thinking about competing this year. But if you want to actually write this year off and say, hey, let's go and, let's go and win games uh, or let's go and try and develop this quarterback so we can win games later and maybe he gets better over the second half of the season, maybe we sneak into the playoffs and we, and we become a, a, a wildcard team that no one wants to play, it's probably not going to happen just because the team as a whole isn't as stacked as, what, as it once was. Overall, I wouldn't feel good as a 49ers fan right now because you gave up a lot to get this guy. And even though he's a developmental prospect, and Patrick Mahomes might have looked like this if he played at this early in his rookie season, because remember he didn't, even though he's a developmental prospect, it was a scary performance on Sunday. It's not a game you really want to want to see from a guy you're expecting to build your franchise around. It seemed like there was a chorus ready to crown Shanahan as the next big thing, like a genius of the league. Is the jury now out on him again? 
Like, are we sure that Shannon's the guy? Because I think I touched on this last week that of his tenure so far, and some of them you can cut him some slack that you know there's problems outside of his control. But we're talking about writing off this year again, and ultimately it was his decision to take Lance over the likes of Matt Jones or over the likes of Justin Fields. We might get to in a moment, like. At, a, at some point, this is going to have to fall at his door. Like This is probably not good enough, given some of the talents in that team. And I appreciate they've had problems at running back and some other positions, but like other other teams cope. Like like John Harbaugh, close to my heart, like absolutely ravaged by injuries. But there's a bottom level to the Ravens that they don't really dip below. And the 49ers should have a level like that, and they don't seem to. So this is a trend, and it's not really something I have any concrete evidence to argue or to explain fully. But great NFL play callers on offense in particular, great scheme designers, so I'm talking like guys like Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, these types, they tend not to be the greatest player evaluators, individual evaluators. Like it's it's a part of why you want to separate your head coach from your from your GM normally, but Shanahan obviously has a lot of power there. But if you look at the quarterbacks he's gone after over the years, like it's uh, Brian Hoyer was someone he wanted. It was um I think he was there for he wanted Johnny Manziel when he was in Cleveland. He wanted uh, he wanted Garoppolo, obviously. He also was really high on Kirk Cousins. I think part of what, what happens with these guys is they look at the quarterbacks who do exactly what they tell them to do within the scheme. So they, they believe in their play design. They know what their play design is going to work. If this is executed as it's supposed to be executed, and if you can explain this to me on a whiteboard, yes, I love you. You're going to be my guy. I'm going to stick with you. Whereas that doesn't always translate to actual performance on the field. Like Kirk Cousins is not a smart quarterback when you watch him on the field. He might be smart when he's on a whiteboard when there's not, not a six foot three lineman trying to kill him. So is it, I think that's where the discrepancy comes from. But that's kind of speculation from my part because it's not something I can go and concretely prove. But yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a thing I didn't understand. I didn't see it with Trey Lance, but I didn't see it with lots of quarterbacks who've come out and become very good. Justin Herbert is a great example. Just two years ago, he, his college shape was awful and he came in and he looked great straight away. There hasn't been a development with Lance quickly the way there was with Herbert. So we, we'll have to wait and see. But once you invest those picks in one guy like that, and once you've had the success that Shanahan and John Lynch have had, they're going to get the opportunity to see this through. So we'll find out one way or another. I know I would still, even acknowledging like the mistakes that he's made, I would still consider Shanahan a top five coach in the league, I think. Right. Well, that's a, that's a big vouch from you for him, so I'll, uh, I'll stand corrected. But I, I still think, uh, I'm not quite sure, I, I appreciate, I've seen enough from him to suggest the talent is there and the potential is there to turn the 49ers into something special. He's really but, young, remember. Yeah, totally. Second, second, second jobs for coaches can often be their best jobs. Yeah, but like, I think he, this could drift to a point where the 49ers just need to hit the reset button and eventually that reset button is going to encapsulate him. And yeah. they can't, do you know what I mean? He can't, that tenure, his tenure is not going to last the 49ers project and it's going to be him or John Lynch that's going to fall on their sword and I'd say John Lynch holds that a little bit more sway just at the moment. Um, we'll go to the I think Shanahan brought Lynch in though so it might actually be Shanahan who has that more little bit of power yeah like that always seemed like a strange dynamic but I think yeah, he I, came from the commentary group yeah and Lynch uh, he just seems like a good people person I think Shannon, like as you kind of alluded to there it's it's kind of a my my way or the highway dynamic with him I get the impression so he's probably not as amenable to change as someone like Lynch would be so it's something he to keep Mike Shanahan's son yeah, it's something to keep an eye on because the 49ers are such a giant of the league and you know the, the fact that they're they're missing the playoffs or on the cusp of doing so this year would look like is probably doesn't bode overly well. Uh, lastly on the pick six, Zach's Fifth Avenue and a rare 
good week for New York football, specifically the Jets we'll touch on here, but the Jets and the Giants were 18 and 49 since the beginning of the 2017 season, which is the worst record of any team in the league, so fair play to New York for being so terrible at football, but they both won last weekend, and we should talk about the Jets team because rookie quarterbacks, we've been bemoaning their sort of aptitude or ability to adapt to the league, but Wilson looked all right, like you can see the raw materials are there and he's got a big arm for a little guy who looks like he's from High School Musical. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely has a big arm. That showed up repeatedly in their win at the weekend. The really impressive thing from him was he showed on occasion that he can recognise when the bad play is coming. So his interception early in the game is actually not his fault. It looks really ugly. It looks like a horrible play. But Corey Davis is running a deep in route and he slips in his break. So that's why the defender is standing there all on his own and Davis is on the ground behind him. The ball was actually thrown to the right spot at the right time. Davis just didn't win on his route. So that kind of mars the performance if you're just watching it casually and not really paying attention. He actually didn't really make many mistakes. He recognized when the coverage was not what he thought it was going to be after a snap held the ball worked away worked away worked to look for an opportunity his huge play in the second half the long touchdown to Corey Davis was an example of that but he had other ones throughout the game as well where he was doing that and that's what you got in college from him you got a guy who had enough ability in the pocket to suggest he could develop into a consistent pocket passer but also someone who sprinkled in these crazy highlight plays where he broke into either flat and made throws that no one else could make there's very much a Ben Roethlisberger type of timeline for him, I think, where he needs to figure out how he can be even more uh, consistent within the pocket, even more refined with his decisions, with his timing and all that kind of stuff, while still keeping the big arm and still keeping the ability to hit the deep throws and hit the hit the deep outs, which is something he does really well, actually, in this game. On, when they had third and long, or they had second and long even, he was hitting deep outs from the far hash. So there's two hash marks in the middle of the field, and while they look quite neck close to each other on TV, they're quite far away from each other because football fields are very wide. And he's able to hit an out route, out route on the far sideline from the far hash, which is essentially a deep throw, even though the play actually only gains about 12 or 13 yards. And if you can hit that throw consistently, it's very difficult for the defense to stop that. And he's able to do it. So there's definitely a foundation there for him to build on. I think the Jets are still... They're still the Jets. Like, it still looks like a mess. Everything there needs a lot of work. And Marcus May looks like he's in trouble now as well. And he's their best player on defense. So... It, it, there's a lot to figure out there. Will he be ruined? Will Robert Sala be able to protect him and get, get him going in the right direction? We'll find out. But the actual ability and the actual talent of Wilson is definitely there for them to see and there to build on if they can build on it properly. Yeah, it would have been my sense that Justin Fields was the, the guy for the number two pick, but in, in their defence, they've obviously seen enough on tape that Wilson is talented and it was kind of borne out last weekend. So hopefully they can all succeed. Fields has been named as QB1 in Chicago, so that's another one to keep an eye on. Just for, he looks good too. He does look good. I like, he was probably my favourite quarterback out of the, the crop. I know uh, we touched on Lawrence earlier and he's probably the de facto number one, but I was most impressed with Fields. I think um, I think he will have a long career in the league and hopefully in Chicago. Um, now to our competition and congrats to everybody who picked the Patriots to cover the spread last week. Myself and Keane did not. I think we predicted a 10-point victory for the Bucks, but a, a good few people actually tipped the Patriots to the rise of the occasion and they did that. I think everyone can agree the most appetising game this weekend is probably the Chiefs and the Bills, which is an AFC Championship rematch. But we talk about those two teams enough. So our competition for the co-branded beanies are uh, the Giants at the Cowboys, Keen, and the Cowboys are seven-point favourites heading into New York. Do we have to acknowledge at this point that the Cowboys are a really good team? 
Yeah, I think they're a good team. I think they well they can be a good team. And we didn't mention Jalen Smith being released, but releasing Jalen Smith should make them an even better team because Jalen Smith has been a pretty terrible footballer for his whole career. Like the Jalen Smith release was just bizarre because of its timing. It wasn't bizarre because of his play. He's been bad for a long time and they gave him that contract extension, not gonna pay him loads of money to not be there. It's very unusual. But that's a, a larger story we can get into. I would definitely think the Giants are going to lose this game by more than a touchdown. I'm, I'm taking the approach that uh, the Tyrone goalkeeper has, where he has no memory of anything that's happened before him, <laughs> so he's always confident in what he's doing. That's what they're doing with these picks. So like, that it can all be wrong. We can go through 17 houses that we've burned down, 17 uh, messes right behind us by the end of the season. I'll still be looking forward. I'll still be confident. I'm going to pick the Cowboys, and they're going to lose. So you're, you're going with the Cowboys with that minus seven spread. So they are seven-point favorites. Same crack as last Put your money week. on the Giants. Yeah, I do think, for, my, for, for what it's worth, I think the Giants will be quite competitive in this game for large swathes of it, but ultimately I do think the Cowboys will eke out more than a seven-point win, so you're talking maybe eight or nine points, something like that. So I think the Cowboys will get the win here, and anyone who agrees or disagrees, please send your winner for that game to uh, Off the Ball on Twitter, use the hashtag OTBSnap, or just reply on stream wherever you're watching and we'll dig out the winner and be in touch during the week. Thanks to Keen as ever and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We'll chat next week.